right, well, welcome to uh, week three of our fall series here at IBC of Entitled Faith Through Love. Uh, and we've gotten all that and we're learning, uh, walking our way through the book of Galatians and we're uh, hopefully learning and applying all the things that we're learning from Paul through this incredible letter uh, to four different towns really uh, in the area of Galatia. We've talked all the way through that. If you've missed those uh, uh, first few uh, messages and I invite you to go back online and watch those. Uh, you can go back and watch all of our online things through our Facebook page. Uh, and it's all is coming from Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. We're going to get there eventually which is our theme verse. Uh, for this entire series that says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And we started in week one talking about how faith through love really begins with what you believe and how you live, right? And then last week we looked at uh, the, our favorite word in the church, and that's a word that we've probably all heard a thousand times, hypocrisy, and how really our lives are uh, sometimes labeled that because of the reality that we say one thing and that we do one thing, uh, but we say we believe another thing. And we kind of saw how Paul approached that topic with Peter and why he did that and how that all played out not so well for Peter, uh, really well for Paul. And he applied all that to the Galatian churches saying, listen, don't live like like this. Be who you are. Be who God created you to be. And we even talked about uh, uh, the purpose of the law in that and how that equated with grace. And we kind of wrapped everything up last week with the idea of trying not to frustrate the grace of God, right? And I, I love that word. If you missed last week, again, I say go back and watch it because that, that last little part about being frustrating, uh, I think is so important for us to understand. And so like, listen, real talk, you guys don't know that I could have preached another hour and a half, two hours last week about the law and grace. And really because what we read last week was just the tip of the iceberg that Paul kind of begins to walk through these Galatian churches with how the law kind of correlates and how you understand the law and how do you understand grace and how those two things mix together. He says things like, you foolish Galatians, right? He's really passionate towards them. And uh, can you imagine me getting up in front of you guys and calling you foolish people? What's wrong with you? Right? He's writing this very passionate letter and he says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law? Or by believing what you heard. He's basically looking at him saying, listen, when you were doing everything by the law, did you ever get the Spirit? Did you ever have the Holy Spirit with you? No. And then when you started believing and, and putting your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, you did receive the Spirit? So, okay, let's, let's decide which one's more important here, right? He's being very straight out with them. He doesn't pull any punches, and I love it. And then he goes into this idea of Abraham and how Abraham was justified by faith before he ever did anything, right? So it's not what we do, it's what we believe. And then he gives this incredible summation to this entire law faith argument. If you've got your Bible, uh, I want you to open up to Galatians chapter 3. This is not even what I'm preaching today, but it's so good we can't skip over it in our walk through Galatians. Okay, Galatians 3, 23 and 25, through 25 says this. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. That's so great. And you should have that highlighted and underlined in your Bible because it's basically saying that the law was put in charge. It was there to lead us to Jesus. That's the whole point of the law. And now that we have Jesus, we're not underneath the supervision of the law. We don't have all the, the extra, you know, you guys know that the, we got the Ten Commandments, but then there was a whole lot more that the Jews put on uh, to those and all these different things that they had to do. He's saying, listen, all that 
that, that just led us to Jesus. And now that we've got him, all that stuff is still important, but it's not the most important thing, right? And so Paul writes this perfect summary of the law and faith, and then he kind of leads us into this healthy and right understanding of who we are. And, and once we understand who we are, he asks the question of basically how could you act in any other way with the understanding of who you are. So today, what we're going to do, I'm going to give you, uh, it's going to feel like maybe two sermons, maybe, uh, maybe in length, uh, maybe not in length, but it's going to feel like two sermons kind of pushed together into one. It's really two thoughts that, that Paul kind of gives us, but they're so intermingled, okay? They, they're so uh, well woven together in the word. We have to talk about one and the other at the same time. We can't split them up. So today's going to be two thoughts, but I'm going to make it real easy. I've got two points for today, and I'm going to give you both of them at the very jump, okay? And so my two points for today are, who are you and how could you? Who are you and how could you? Everything that we talk about this morning is going to roll around these two things. And so let's just kind of dive into the Word to see how Paul uh, kind of lays out his argument here. And then we'll see how all that applies back to us today. Galatians chapter 3, this is right after he gets through talking about the law. Galatians 3 verse 26 says this. You are, see how that answers our questions, who are you? He starts off telling us, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, in this one statement, Paul gives us four different things that we are. He says it over. You are this. You are this. You are this. And the last one is kind of implied, but we're going to imply the you are because it's kind of a continuation of the, further, of the third statement. So let's just break these down real fast, okay? And we're going to see each one of these and how it plays into who we really are. We've been talking about this through our defined Bible study. For those of you who've been walking through that with us, that wrapped up this last week. For those of you who gave up in the middle and forgot to keep watching, that wrapped up this last week. So you could go back and rewatch those that you missed, okay? Uh, and through Defined, we talked about who we are in Christ and how he's the only one that can define us. Well, here Paul kind of gives us a little different perspective on this, but the same kind of thought. And he tells us four specific things. Number one, you are sons of God. That expression Sons of God through faith really speaks specifically to the Galatian men and women. Remember the reasoning for the letter, right? Remember Paul came, he established the church, he left, and somebody else came in and said, listen, you got to do A, B, and C, or you're not real followers of Christ. you got to do these Jewish things, A, B, and C, or you're really not a follower of Jesus. In the King James Version, if you have a King James Version of the Bible, it says, the phrase, you are children of God. And that word, and I know this is going to be almost wrong to say from a stage in a Baptist church, is an unfortunate translation. Because that word children is not necessarily the thought that the original language gives. Here's the reason why, okay? Sons of God is so much better because really... The idea of what he's trying to say is that you, you no longer need supervision, right? You don't need tutors or, or, or governors, and they don't need this direction in your life. You have arrived at age. You, you have full privilege as sons, not as 
kids. In other words, you don't need these people to come in and try to teach you something different. You have a full understanding of faith on your own. You don't have to lift, listen to this empty teaching or this change your belief kind of idea. In other words, you're a grown-up, act like one. If we were in South Arkansas and we were translating this into our vernacular, we would say something like, uh, put on your spiritual big boy pants and act like a man, right? That's what we would say. And that's what he's trying to say to the Galatians. He's saying, you're a son, right? God's gonna, Paul's going to continue to expound this thought over the next few verses. I'm, I'm not going to get into that just yet. We'll come back to it because we want to see these other three things that he says that we are. And so number one, we have to understand that we are fully mature, that we're fully, we are, we're old enough to know better, okay? So that's why that word children is not really applicable. We are, we're, we're, we're old enough, we're, we're grown up, so let's act like it. The second thing he tells us is that you are all one. You are all one, meaning there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, between slave men or free men, between men and women. You're all one in Christ. In other words, anyone can come to Christ. This is an incredible verse. And, and obviously in, in their understanding of, of their standing with God because they were not Jewish, they kind of felt like they were on the outside. You know what that feels like? Kind of feeling like you're on the outside. You don't, you don't want to go to things that, that you don't feel like you just really fit in. Even if you know you do fit in, you still kind of feel a little awkward, right? It's men, it's, it's men uh, who, whose wives say, hey, let's go to this birthday party for one of our kids and you're the only man there. Right? And you're just standing around with a bunch of moms and you're like, okay, it's time for me to leave. Even though I know all these people, I just don't necessarily, this is kind of weird. This is kind of awkward for me to be here. That's the way the, the Galatian churches felt. They were just kind of a little bit on the out. They knew they, they belonged, but really they didn't because they weren't Jewish. And they had this thought in their head, gosh, if I was just born differently, if I was born in a different area or if I had this, this, this promise maybe that we're going to talk about here in a minute, if, if something was just different, maybe I would feel like I belong a little bit more. Now, we kind of can step back from that in our 21st century enlightened uh, mentality and go, yes, we get this. We would never discriminate the gospel between anyone based on their race or their gender or their nationality. But my question to you, church, this morning as we just even quickly look at this is what are we doing to make the gospel known to all people. If there is no difference in scripture, then there has to be no difference in our hearts. And we say, well, well we, we tell people, but are you just telling people that look like us and think like us and dress like us and uh, believe like us or even vote like us? That's a hot topic button right now. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Are we, are we just telling this to the folks that we're comfortable with? Or are we making the gospel known to everyone? When he says you are one, that means everyone. I had a guy uh, a couple of years ago uh, who, who visited our church, came to our church and, and, and came and after service came up to me and said, listen, I just want to make sure it's okay if I come to church here. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, why, why would it not be? And he said, well, I, I, just real quick, I, I grew up in the church, uh, but for the last three years, I've been living my life as an atheist. I would, I would just say I just kind of lost faith in it all. And so I just want to make sure it's okay with you if I come. And I was like, dude, absolutely. This is where I want you to be. This is the best place for you. Everyone means everyone. I can't look at him and go, no, you don't believe like I believe? Get out of this church. Are you kidding? That's the whole point of the church. 
But what we do is we bury these little small circles and we say, well, we're comfortable with this kind of person or we're comfortable with this kind of person, so this is the people I'm going to tell, but I'll leave it up to somebody else to tell everybody else. Paul says, you are all one. That means everybody. The third thing that he says is you are Abraham's seed. That's a very weird description of who we are, okay? But let's remember who Abraham was, right? And let's remember the promise that God gave him. So if you've got your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to go back all the way to the beginning. <coughs> Genesis 17 is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. We don't have time to read the entire Abrahamic story. It would be incredible. We maybe have, we have to do that uh, at another time. But the, this, these opening chapters of our Bible give us so much history and so much good stuff. But this is the covenant, okay? When you think about the, the promise that God made with Abraham, Abraham, uh, this is all in Genesis chapter 17. Let's start with verse 4. And it says this, as for me, this is God speaking, this is my covenant with you. You will be a father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. That's a very common practice in the Old Testament. When God did something in someone's life, he would change their name. And so that they are in this new creation. We can kind of parallel that into New Testament scripture where we are a new creation. We'll talk about that later. Just connecting dots. Your name will be Abraham. For for I have made you a father of many nations. Nations, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This is, this is the promise establishing God's eternal relationship between himself and Abraham's descendants that we now know as the Jewish people, right? Notice the Jewish people. This is his promise to them. And here, back in in Galatians, Paul's writing a Gentile group of people, people who were not Jews, people who were absolutely not underneath this covenant that God made with Abraham. And he's saying, you are Abraham's seed because of your relationship with Jesus because of your faith and your hope and your trust in him, this promise has been extended to you as well. You are now considered descendants of Abraham, meaning there's no reason that you have to prove that in any other way. Anyone coming in telling you that you have to do certain things to be Jewish, you already are considered Jewish in God's eyes. This is huge. Church, anyone telling you That you have to do anything other than place your faith in Jesus to be a Christian is wrong. Anyone coming in telling that you have to have a perfect life before you can come to Jesus is wrong. Even if that person is yourself. Because that's what we do, right? We kind of do our own thing and we live our own life. And maybe we even understand who Jesus is and have a good concept of him. But then life happens, right? We've all been there. Life happens and uh, you kind of get, well, you kind of drive down the road that you want to go down. I was going to say you get pulled down that road, but really it's our own. We're making the decision. We're not going to skirt that responsibility to somebody else. And you end up doing and living life in a way that you go, how in the world did I ever get over here? And then somehow in the back of your head, you think this thought, I'll get my stuff together and then I'll go back. I'll, I'll kind of start making better decisions and then I'll go back 
to him or then I'll come back to who Jesus is or then I'll come back to the church. Church, if anybody tells you, including yourself, that you have to do anything other than just come to Jesus, then they're wrong. And, and here, Paul is trying to make this argument because really the Galatian churches, the people who are coming into them are saying you have to follow the law, you have to be circumcised, you have to do all these things, you have to keep all these festivals, you have to do all the things that you're supposed to do, right? And, and Paul's going, listen, none of that matters. It's faith. You are already descendants of Abraham. You are already in the promise. You're already included because you've put your faith and hope in Jesus. That stuff, they're just trying to distract you. And we go, okay, well, we, we get that, but sometimes we get distracted by our own self. And we've got to remember that we are already in. If you've put your faith, if the only thing that you have to do is put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, if you've done that, then you're in. You don't have to be perfect. You should strive to want to be, but that's where he comes in. You've got to get back to him first. You can't do it on your own first. That's a whole other sermon. Point number four. <laughs> Here we go. You are one. You are sons and daughters, right? And then uh, point number four, you are heirs according to the promise. This is that continuation one, right? Because he doesn't just necessarily say you are. He says uh, there's neither slave or Greek, uh, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are an Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we're kind of inserting our you are here. This uh, is understanding that if we are in the covenant, if we are seeds of Abraham, then we are also heirs to the promise, meaning that we are his people and he is our God, that we are heirs to his kingdom, that we have this promised home with him, that we will have forever inherit the spiritual blessings as heirs, as promises, as, as, as recipients of this promise that he's given us. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now for children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we also share in his glory, if you want to talk about who you are, you, whether you are Jew or Greek, man or woman, you are sons and daughters of God, descendants of Abraham and heirs to a kingdom through Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And Paul lays all this out for us in these few verses because it's so important for us to know it because I'd be willing to bet none of us feel like it. We wake up in the morning and we don't stand up and say, I... Matt Overall, I'm the son of God. I am an heir to the kingdom. I am, I am the son of the most high. I am, oh, I am one and I am fully. I don't get up in the morning and do that. If you do that, well, good for you. You have a better morning routine than I do. I get up in the morning, you know what I say? Man, I'm tired. I'm worn out. Or I say, I am a miserable excuse for a lot of things in my life. Maybe sometimes I'm just... Maybe I'm prepared. Sometimes I'm unprepared. Maybe sometimes I'm overwhelmed. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Yeah, I get all those. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm an uncle. I've made a lot of mistakes in those areas too. Maybe I'm just a mistake. Maybe sometimes I'm, I'm feeling whole and complete. Sometimes I'm feeling washed up and 
worn out. Sometimes I'm defeated. Sometimes I'm defeated mentally before I even start the day. Some of y'all know how that feels. We wake up and we don't conquer the day by standing up and declaring all these things that Paul says we are because we just don't feel that way. And my question to you and, and really to all of us this morning is who are you? Are you going to allow your emotions and your experience to dictate who you are? Or are you going to allow your creator, the one who literally breathed life into you, who Psalms 103.4 redeemed your life from the pit, and who has in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 through 4 given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And so it's good to remind ourselves who we are. Bible says you are blessed, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are blessed. You are precious. Isaiah 43, 3, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. You are his treasured possession. My favorite verse in the Old Testament, Exodus 19, 5. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession out of all the nations, for the whole earth is mine. That Hebrew word is segulah. You are his segulah. You are created in his image, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. You are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. You are set apart. Hebrews 10, 10. We have been set apart as holy because Jesus Christ did what God wanted him to do by sacrificing his body once and for all. I could keep going, right? We know these things. You are God's workmanship. You are seated in the heavenly realms. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are temple of the Holy Spirit. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Church, who are you? Are you going to allow this emotion and this experience of life to go, man, you know what? I'm not worth nothing. Are you going to say, you know what? I am a son or daughter of God. I am fully forgiven and completely whole. I am not perfect, but I serve a perfect God. And so I am a temple of his spirit and I will live as though I am. When we begin to understand who we are, that we are Abraham's seed, that we're an heir to the promise, that we're all these things that Paul lays out for us. It changes our perspective because we understand really who God sees us to be. And we've got to live up to that. So the question is, who are you? And then Paul, so I told you, he's going to explain how to, this whole idea of sons of God. Remember uh, how that was going to play back into, let's keep reading verse, uh, chapter, this goes into chapter 4, verse 1. It says, uh, you know, your sons, you're a part of Abraham, you're an heir. And then he says this, what I'm saying is, he explains himself, it's so great. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is a child... He's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until that time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery until under, and under the basic principles of the world. He's saying, listen, as long as the heir's a child. Remember that word that we talked about in verse 26 in chapter 3 was, um, was sons. meant fully grown, fully mature. You're a grown-up. Act like a grown-up. This one means child. It means an infant. It means someone who is childish, actually. It says, listen, as long as the heir is a child, 
They don't, they're not old enough to understand this. They're definitely not old enough to, to really live out the expectations of being the heir or of, of running everything that God has promised them. They, they've got to have guardians. They've got to have people in their life to help direct them and all that kind of stuff until the time set by his father or until he's old enough to do it on his own. And he says, listen, we used to be like that. Did you see all the past tense verbs in that? As long as there's a child, there's no difference in slave, although he owns everything. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So we also, we were children when we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. It was this past tense thing. That's what we used to be. We, we were all those things. We were lost. We didn't get it. We hadn't learned. We were too immature. We, we, weren't, we weren't fully mature in who God says he was. And then keep reading verse 4. But when the time had fully come, your version of the Bible may say, in the fullness of time. This is one of my most favorite verses. This is actually going to be the theme verse of our Christmas series this year. And so I can't wait to get back to this. I'm not even going to start preaching that right now. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. As grown-ups, same word. Because you, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. In other words, when God was ready, he sent Jesus, born of a man to redeem men, born under the law to redeem those under the law. This all points back to why Jesus had to be born, uh, and how he had to be 100% man and 100% God. And then he says, once you have his spirit in, his, in your heart, you're no longer the slave to this old life stuff. You're a son. You're fully mature. You're ready, right? You're a grown-up. You're responsible. You're accountable. All those things. You're now an heir, so the big takeaway from all this is how many of y'all are still acting like children when you're heirs? How many of y'all are still acting like child and childish things and getting wrapped up in all these childish old life behaviors when you're supposed to be an heir? And Paul's saying it's time to grow up. Get over yourself. Are you a child or are you an heir? That's just my first point. Who are you? Let's get into how could you? Because this is the question that goes straight from this into Paul's argument of how could you. Let's keep reading verse 8 of chapter 4. <clears throat> he says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. See this connection of being in bondage and enslaved from immaturity and a child in those first, first seven verses. Now being enslaved by our action, our idolatry, our worship of things that are by nature not God's. That phrase in the original Greek literally translates, which are not gods by nature, but in your imagination. Isn't that great? We have a lot of these imaginary gods, right? These little g imaginary gods in our life that we continue to bow down to, that we continue to go run back to, these little things that by nature are not gods, the God of power, 
God of popularity, the God of more, the God of money, the God of power and status. The God of convenience, I think, is a big one. It's just easier to live like everybody else. Paul starts verse 8 with a word that I think is so important. Formerly. Kind of a weird word. Formerly. I know you don't live like this anymore. Formerly, we did these things. This was your old life stuff. This was before you put faith in Jesus. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things. And I'm afraid too many of us couldn't say that word formerly. I think too many of us would say, well, we still do this. We still run to these old life habits and these imaginary gods. But, but Paul's saying, listen, now that you're, that you're living in who Jesus says that you are, now that you have this full understanding of who you are, you're not going to live like that. You can't, literally cannot live like that anymore. Now that you know God or better are known by God, you cannot go back to these imaginary gods anymore. Hello, what a wake-up call to us. You can't live old life habits and worship old life gods now that you know him and are known by him. You just can't do it anymore. It's a former thing. That's what we used to do. And he takes it even a step further and he says, how is it that you're turning back to these weak and miserable principles? In other words, how could you? How could you go back to that? Now that you know who you are and who he is and who he, who he says that you are and now that you're known him and that you're known by him, how could you go back to those old, tired, worn out, little g, imaginary gods? Do you want to be enslaved by them all over again? Some of you know that, right? Man, you struggled with a specific sin in your life for so long and you, and you finally got a little bit of freedom from it and you finally got a little bit of break from it. You finally feel like God's kind of intervened and done something incredible to it. And then maybe you've lived a couple of months. Maybe it's even been a couple of years. And you just feel this pull back. And, and God's going, how could you go back to that? Do you want to be enslaved all over again? Do you want to... Do you want to do you want to feel that way? Do you want to go really go back to all the junk that I've already forgiven you for? Do you want to suffer through those mistakes again? And I think sometimes God looks at us and asks us the same question. How could you? After everything that you know that you are, after everything that I have defined you to be, how could you go back to this again? See that ending of that statement there? Paul says, I fear for you. For somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Not that they weren't worth Paul's time. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, listen, the time that I spent with you didn't matter. If you're going to run back to that, it doesn't matter, right? If you're, if you're unwilling to learn, if you're unwilling to change, if you're unwilling to grow up, then everything I've done with you doesn't even matter. And honestly, church, this is the greatest fear of every pastor and myself included. That we spend our life pouring in and preaching and teaching. Listen, not that you're not worth it but that you're just going to run back to the old stuff. And he says, I fear for you. 15 years we've been here. 15 years. That's kind of weird. I wrote down in my notes so I didn't forget. 15 years. If I've spent 15 years pouring my heart out to people who are unwilling to change, then I say, I fear I've wasted my efforts on you. Not that I have anything to do. Not that I have anything to provide for you. I'm just trying to push you in the right direction. 
And Paul's even saying here, and I'm even echoing, that you are totally worth it. But don't go running back to something that you know is not going to be worth it. Don't, don't waste your time on running back to these imaginary gods. And Paul says, I fear for you. I'm afraid that you got your focus in the right in the wrong place. I'm afraid that, that you're going to run back to something that you know is not worth it. That you're not going to live out who God says that you are. Here's my last thought and I'll be done. We're going to wrap up. The reality is this, that we've read this passage and we celebrate all the things that God says that we are, right? We are forgiven. We are fully loved. We are all these things. We are his segula. We are his treasured possession. We are you know, created in his image. All the things that we've read off. We love that. We, we, we are excited about all that. And then we read this, how could you passage? And I, honestly, we all kind of just pull back and go, I never would. Right? We are good church people. And we would never run back to something that's old and these imaginary gods and these miserable practices. Right? We would never go back to that. I do all the right things. I come to church. I'm involved. I serve. I give. I, I may even teach a Sunday school class. I, I have a good marriage. Uh, I, I'm, I've walked the aisle. I've prayed the prayer. I've been baptized. I've done all the church things that I'm supposed to do. Look back at what Galatians 4.10 says this. You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Now, if you're like me, when I read that, I thought, oh, he's talking about all these pagan holiday things. He's talking about all this stuff that, that they did as, as uh, Gentiles, that they celebrated all these different things. Because, listen, if you go back through the Old Testament, even all the way into the New Testament, they were uh, serving different gods. That was the, the big fancy word for that. It's called synchronism. It just means God plus others, okay? kind of covering your bases type thing. It's, it's saying that I believe in God, but I'm also going to believe in this, and I'm going to believe in that, and I'm going to believe in that, and I'm going to do all the things that all of them say to do just to kind of give me a big blanket of protection here. They would do things as far as, uh, as child sacrifice in the Old Testament. What God of Molech, if you read through the Old Testament, God of Molech required child sacrifice, and they burned their children. Uh, you get into the New Testament, even into towns like Corinth and all that kind of stuff, there was temple prostitution going on. There was all kinds of wild, crazy stuff. And people were doing that and saying that they believed in God. And when I read that passage of Scripture, I'm going, that's what he's talking about. right? These, all these little special days, months, and years, and all that kind of stuff. But if you do some digging, you realize that's not what Paul's saying. He's talking about church things. He's talking about Jewish festivals. He's talking about the Sabbath, the New Moon Festival, the Harvest Festival, all these things that the Jews would do. Good church things. Remember the, the context with letter of these guys, these they were called Judaizers. They were coming in saying, you got to do all this Jewish stuff. That's why they called them Judaizers. And they were saying, you got to do all these things to be fully devoted followers of Christ. And these Jewish things were all good things. Nothing inherently evil or bad. They're just checking off the boxes in order to try to gain right relationship with God. And I think we still do the exact same thing today. Come to church. Check. Give our tithe. Check. Serve the community. Check. Pray a prayer. Check. 
Volunteer here. Check. Paul says, I fear for you. Because religious activity does not gain right relationship with God. Church, it's more than just checking boxes. It's about this life that's fully devoted, a mature, complete salvation rooted in Jesus, not in anything that we can do, manifested in true, authentic faith. Not this ritualistic habit of checking boxes. All those things are good things. Come to church, please, check. Make sure you do that. Tithe, please, check, right? We want you to do those things in obedience to what God has said, but those things don't save you. Those things don't do anything for you. It's all about the relationship with Jesus. When you have that relationship, it pushes you to do those things. It pushes you to be involved in the church. It pushes you to serve others. It pushes you to give. It pushes you to serve. It does all those things. But listen, it starts with him, not with those things. So Paul asks the question, who are you and how could you? Because when you realize who you are, you realize that you can never live a faith like that. We can never live out faith with those imaginary gods. You have to live out a fully devoted, fully mature understanding of who you are that equates into how you are, how you worship, how you serve, how you live out this life that God's given you. I'm going to ask TJ to come up here and kind of lead us through uh, a moment of invitation. This is just a moment for us to kind of refocus on what matters most. It's a moment for us to kind of pause here and, okay, God, this is who I say that I am, but this is who you say that I am. Father, this is how I've been living and the boxes that I've been checking. But, God, let's make sure this is in the right order. I want to do those things because you are pulling me to those things. This is a moment for us, really, to kind of recenter ourselves and say, this is the most important thing. Everything else has to revolve around this. So would you stand with us as we pray? If you need to come forward, if you need someone to pray for you or pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. If you have questions about what it means to have a right relationship with God outside of checking boxes, man, that's, that's what salvation is all about. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you have a question about what it means to join the church and and how this church works collectively to push people towards right living and right relationship with God, then that's, that's what we want to do. That's what we want to we join hands with you through that. So let's, let's pray and just give God the next few moments. Do whatever he needs to do in your heart. Don't miss this. This is the most important part. Pray with me. Father, we love you and we thank you for today and all the truth wrapped up into all these verses. God, I feel like we, we covered a lot today, but what more abundant truth than who are you and how could you? Simple phrases that mean so much, Father. We, we oftentimes don't understand exactly how you see us. God, and we can collectively say that we're unworthy of that. We're unworthy of being forgiven and We're unworthy of being called sons and daughters of God. We are unworthy of being called friends. That's what your word calls us. But Father, when we have a right understanding of that, I pray that God, we live that. That we no longer live defeated or we live enslaved or entangled or 
and these miserable practices, as Paul put it, God, that we live as you see us, that we raise the bar in our life and our decisions and our marriages and our relationships and our businesses, God, that we raise the bar in how we treat people and we see other people. God, when we see ourselves like that, we have to see other people like that too. And then God, how could we? How could we ever live anything opposed to what your word says? How could we ever run to these imaginary gods? Forgive us, Father, for making things more important than you. Forgive us for making our own desires and our own path more important than yours. God, just help us get rid of these things. Father, if there's somebody here this morning who who maybe needs to connect the dots on who Jesus really is and what true, authentic, right relationship with him looks like and where it begins. God, I pray that this morning is the day they can understand what salvation looks like. They are bold enough to ask questions or maybe even come down and talk to me. And God, if there's somebody here this morning that struggled with just the life that they've been living when they realize how could you, God, that, that snaps us back to to repentance and to right relationship. And God, I pray that they understand that this morning it's just a prayer way. It's just, it's just a confession of where we are and where we want to be. And the only way we can get there, God, is through you. God, help us to return. Stop meticulously checking off boxes in religious activity and start really living out what you've called us to through a desire an appropriate, right desire to to serve and to love and to express and to give and to do all the things that we're supposed to do, God, because you've given us so much, God, we just, we want to live it out. God, that's what real faith looks like. That's what Paul's been telling the Galatian churches. That's what I believe you are telling us in this moment. Father, help us live this out. The next few minutes are yours, Father. We pray that you just move and work and speak and truth and in love and God that you break our hearts that we don't just check out but that we truly understand what you have for us this morning it's in Jesus name I pray I'm going to ask you to just keep your head down and your eyes closed